I told you, love, I'm the doctor. You can't be. Yeah, why that? Because I'm the doctor. Welcome to TARDIS Talk, the weekly podcast where we discuss all things Doctor Who. Join us this week as we continue our countdown to the power of the Doctor, where we review the 13th Doctor's second series in series 12. And joining me in this week's Breakneck Speed retrospective, it's the usual suspects on this journey. It's Matt, Cook and Cy. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. All right. Howdy doody. Cook is behind the wheel this week. He's recording. He's doing the editing for me. You are. You are. The sound engineer for the week, because you're going to take over duties when we come around to doing our reaction to Power of the Doctor, what with me being overseas. So it's going to be a bit of a baptism of fire for you, this one. Kind committed of. to a holiday over the podcast. How dare you? Uh, believe me, if I had the choice, I would cancel my flight ticket to watch Doctor Who. Trust me. <laughs> I um, hope the um, people that you're going to this place for aren't, don't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> no, they know. They know that I'm incredibly bitter about this. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> You've never been one to hide how you feel. Damn right. Um, yeah, so so basically we're continuing our journey this week with uh, Jodie Whittaker's second season, her, her second full season, I think we can call it, can't we? Because Flux wasn't really a full season. It was a, a shortened, shortened run. Um, but before we get into that, let's jump into who in the news. So hasn't really been a fat lot new this week, has there? There's been no production news. There's been no sightings as per se. David Tennant's been doing the rounds, isn't he, in Radio Times and stuff like that. Um, talking about how good Shooty's going to be, um, I suppose. Have you guys caught any of those interviews and, and whatnot that I've been doing the doing the rounds? Uh, I've missed them, actually. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't really say anything brand new, nothing majorly exciting as far as the more anyway. It's just all kind of like hype, I suppose, which is good, a good thing. But I suppose one of the good things that came out this week was that the um, BBC finally released the Flux soundtrack, which was uh, pretty interesting to listen to. Was it yesterday it came out? It was yesterday, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, you met, I think you mm. sent it yesterday, did you? Yeah, it's on Spotify. So, Sai, if you if you if, if you want to give it a listen, it's I think it's his strongest work so far. Even though I still think a lot of his sounds are the are the same motif, the Thirteenth Doctor motif with a slight twang to it. Um, I think there's one Ooh. track that stands out in particular. You mentioned it to me actually, didn't you, Cook? Before yeah. You said, it's Dance um, Across Space and Time. It's called. Yeah, that one. That's, that's a cracking one, isn't it? I think that's the the track that's heard at the end of. Um, the Halloween apocalypse. It's because it's one of those like eight-minute monster tracks that Murray Gold used to do. Mm. Well, they, have you noticed that the runtime on these tracks they're all around about five to eight minutes though. Mm. But that one's very, very unique and stand out. I think it sets the tone for for Flux in general. But yeah, for for soundtrack aficionados, get out there and, and pick it up, have a listen. You know, give it a go. It's uh, some of his strongest stuff so far, I think. Interestingly, we still haven't heard who's composing next year, have we? We still don't know who's doing the specials. We still don't know who's doing series 14. They haven't announced who the composer is. If it isn't Murray Gold, I'll be, I'll be amazed if it's not Murray Gold for the 60th at least. Mm. I don't really anticipate him coming back like for series 14 and beyond. But Yeah, no, I'm the same as well. Is that what you were saying, Zai? Yeah, I was going to say, do um, we think he'll actually come back full time? But Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I really don't. Don't know. Um, yeah, it's a hard one to say. Twelve years already, didn't he? So he's, he's more than done his time. Well, that's exactly. It, I suppose. Yeah. I don't. I don't even know if there's any other particular British composers out there. That, well, there are loads who I would like. There's the guy who did. Do you know? I'm terrible. I can't remember his bloody name. Who did the um, 
the Maze Theory VR games. Um, he did some brilliant Doctor Who scoring for those. Um, I've got him on Twitter. I can't remember his bloody name though. Either way, yeah, I, I don't know who they're going to do, and it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they're just going to kind of like announce it. Um, guess we'll have to to wait and hang tight on that one. It's a bit pointless me asking you in it, Matt, because you're tone deaf when it comes to soundtracks. <laughs> Yeah, well, this what I mean. Everyone gets excited about the, about it, being, you know, being available to stream. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. I don't think I listened to them the first time through. I just stick them on in the background when I'm playing the video game. I've been like playing Rimworld and stuff with the the Flux soundtrack playing in the background. It's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, but I don't yeah. listen to music even when I'm playing games. Well, I can turn I off music. I generally do. Sacrilege, sacrilege. <laughs> right. Um. Let's crack on then. So. Uh, so yeah. So, the, like I say, this week we're doing series twelve. Um. We are. Uh, basically, um, gonna gonna do the breaknet run through of all the episodes like we did with last week. Um, pick a favourite episode, maybe at the end, talk about uh, some of the recurring themes that run through this particular series. Um, so we will kick off with uh, the was it 2019 series two or 2020? 2020. 2020 just yeah just 2020 was it yeah yeah so the New Year's Day um, New Year's Day uh, series debut of Spyfall Part One. Um, so Spyfall, I mean, what an intro to Series yeah, Twelve! Yeah. They hit the ground running here, didn't they? It was fantastic. We properly, it, 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 it really did set up some really good expectations for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I just even even that, I, I definitely think it has like such a strong, surprising cliffhanger that nobody was expecting it in a million years. I, I, I certainly didn't pick anything. So did you guys recognise? Because of course I'm talking about the revelation of uh, Sasha Dowen playing the master, but mm. he was playing like the spy master. Did anyone pick up on that? No, no, that was a complete surprise to me. Yeah, in fact, yeah, it, it kind of floored me when I first watched it. I was like, yeah. grinning. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And, and again, as the whole thing is based off, you know, the entire episode is all about spies. Actually, having somebody unveiled, they're not who they say they are, in a way that wasn't leaked or. Or was that obvious? You know, I didn't feel like I, I missed a massive chunk by being unveiled. It was a genuine, pleasant surprise. Well, yeah. he was edited out of all the trailers. Mm. Um, like, you know, the footage where they're, in, they're all in tuxes going to that garden party. He's completely edited out of it. So there was almost nothing to speculate on. And because it was the first episode, it was there was no yeah. Yeah, time yeah, yeah. to yeah. dig into anything like that. I so. think... That's what I mean. They took the time and effort to do that, which to, you know, to get, make sure that that revelation is is really genuine. Mm. I think one of the key. Just quick question, actually, Sai. You, I can't recall, but I'm, uh, didn't you say that you didn't watch series twelve when it aired initially? No, I didn't. I waited until oh, probably about a year ago. So did you like hear about the 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 mastery yeah. stuff like that? Oh, mate. I saw. Oh. No, well, I should clarify. I saw Skyfall Part One and Two, and then I just I just stopped it. For some reason or another, I can't remember why. But um, okay, so you caught wait... the Yeah, until I, I waited about a year ago, and then I finished the whole lot of series twelve. Oh, fair dues then. That's that's fair enough then. Yeah, I just I, there are there are Spyfall is perfect for me for a variety of reasons. There's some lovely little moments in it. I think one of my favourite ever Tardis moments in this era is when she's got the Tardis up on the uh, the rack in the garage, and she's basically got all those wires hanging. Out. I just love that shot. I think it's beautiful. Um, the car chase sequence. Uh, all the action sequences, the reveal at the end, a really strong episode. The only thing I think it, that was let down in this particular story, was, was on both parts, I think, was the like the Lenny Henry storyline and the 
what do you call them? The weird white blinding light alien things, whatever the they Kasavin. were. Stuff like that. The, the what, sorry? The Kasavin. What, what was that? The Kasavin. <laughs> oh, Kasavin. The Kasavin, yeah, right. So, I mean, they're just unforget. They're just completely forgettable, aren't they? Yeah, and I thought they were going to have a bigger role across Series 12, but they never did. No, no, that's, that's my point. They, they totally just kind of like... It was almost like they were just a red herring to the point where they were forgotten about by the time Episode 2 rolled around, Part 2 rolls around. Because, of course, Part 2 rolls around, and at that point, it's the Doctor chasing the Master three times, isn't it, from what I remember? So, Pretty much, yeah. Is, that, is it Spyfall Part 2 where we have uh, Sasha Dowen as the Master clad in Gestapo gear on the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> <It is. laughs> Well, not Gestapo. He's, I don't know what he is. He's like Nazi Nazi captain or something. It's like isn't an he? SS uniform, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that though. I think that's so clever. It's um, it's interesting, but I do think there's a tonal difference between Part One Master, even though we only get him in the closing moments, and he seems kind of suave and collected to some. Or does he? I don't know. Am I overthinking this? When? Which bits are? So, he, of course, at the end of Spyfall Part 1, we get the Master. And then he is, maybe he's maybe he is slightly erratic and crazy. And then in Part 2, he's really erratic and really crazy. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about the Master as, as Sasha Dowen. I, I, I like him, but he's definitely not the same as any other incarnation, is he? He's not as cool as Anthony Ainley or Roger Delgado. He's not as comedic as, as missy for example you know kind of like bitchy he he strikes me very much as batman's joker like a mark hamill style joker if that makes sense the thing is yeah, i think he, i think he does yeah, his dramatic things pretty well yeah yeah that's true sorry sorry what were you saying let's just say he's unhinged i mean yeah yeah these incarnations were not as unhinged as this one i don't think well yeah I- in my opinion, he seems to swing between the two. So, you know, the scenes where he's, he's a bit more unhinged, where he's giggling, where he's uh, clapping on the spot, and all those interesting moments. They're the bits I potentially don't enjoy him as. But his his when he's having his dramatic, emotional conversations, like, again, top of the Eiffel Tower, for argument's sake, he's good. There's, they're effective yeah, yeah. scenes. Yeah, they are. It just seems completely polar opposite to when he's, like, doing those slightly manic moments as well. I don't know. I, I, I find them a little bit, a little bit yeah, jarring. They, they could do without the manic moments, to be honest, to my for yeah. me, at least. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's the bits it, that I don't... It, I, just, I would... it seems like a John Sim impersonation as opposed to his own take. Yeah, that's very, very true. And it would mention this about Jodie Whittaker's performance and how she's very David Tennant-y in the way that she portrays the Doctor of a humanised perspective. Maybe that's maybe that's a parallel for the Master as well. Then maybe they, they're trying to channel the John Sim element into it, which is interesting because um, I watched uh, Sasha Dowen and um, and his wife. Um, goodness me, I can't remember her name, but she's the one who um, she. Oh, she's, it's uh, um, boss face. It's Rani, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Rani from Sarah Jane Adventures, and they they watched the Terror of the Autons on one of the Blu-ray collections, and he's talking about the Master and how obviously you know kind of like. He, he really appreciates Roger Delgado's impersonation of him. It's just weird that he chose not to channel any of that into into this portrayal. We might be a bit, get, getting a bit, bit too deep into the master at the moment. We probably need to speak <laughs> on a little bit. Yeah, it was Spyfall, though, it's a story. I, I really enjoy it. I think it's great. Um, you know, it does a, does a lot in terms of kicking the series off. Uh, and it's, it's. I think one of the big things that we came out of watching this as, as, as a group, didn't we? We came out watching this going, oh, Doctor Who's back. After, after yeah. series 
we felt re reinvigorated by it, didn't we? We felt kind of ready to go, punching and rearing, and it was like, yes, yeah, come on! A little bit similar to Woman Who Fell to Earth, where it was a bit more optimism at the start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just felt fun. And then we got to Orphan 55. So, <laughs> oh, we've talked a lot about Orphan 55 we already. It's not a strong one. Less said the better on this one, really, isn't it? It was, it, it was. They were trying to be kind of like fun and actiony and convey a message. And and yeah, it just it it fell flat for a lot of people, and I kind of get why, you know. Um, I just, I, it's just an episode I don't enjoy. Uh, the supporting act, the supporting cast, do my tree in with it. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, the whole message of the week thing was wasn't even on the nose. It was basically like punching the nose in at this point. Appalling. Uh, the speech from the doctor at the end was absolutely appalling. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the themes we'll talk about later, actually. But yeah, it, it's. Has uh, anyone got anything positive to say about it? No. <laughs> Straight in there with that one. No. <laughs> It does, there's, there's a couple of moments where 13 gets a bit angsty which is what we like to see but other than that no. yeah she does that quite a bit in this series doesn't she she definitely shows her meat meat and two veg in this one um mm. she she gets a little bit sort of hairy and larry and i quite like that i quite like that i quite like seeing an angry side to her um very similar to the way that mccoy was actually in the 80s his first season was awful um in comparison to his later stuff when he actually started to kind of show his his you know his darker side his acting prowess and stuff i think the same can be said for whitaker to some extent yeah her, her snapbacks seem to be the bits quite like again when she's been pressured to talk about herself or disagreeing with saying one of the companions is saying that seems to be her in her element yeah 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 no completely agree completely agree all right well uh, we have done a review on orphan 55 as well so it'd be a bit pointless kind of over diagnosing this one we spent 45 minutes slagging it off before so let's let's move on with that one then on to um a bit of a hidden gem i think nikola tesla's night of terror was it going to say orphan 55 <laughs> i think this is a bit of a hidden gem this one i quite like night of terror i completely disagree Really? Interesting. Yeah. What do you like about it? I I feel it's it's directionless. I feel it doesn't quite know what story it's trying to tell. I can't really... You know, I went back and watched it again recently to try and pull out some information because I couldn't remember anything really critical about watching it the first time through. Yeah. And actually, it's, it's really inconsistent. And I don't understand, again, why it's trying to pull in like, the whole... The whole Nikola Tesla type part of it. I don't understand why it's trying to pull in something that looks like uh, the Ragnos, but they're just, you know, in a scavenger version. I don't understand the story it's trying to tell. I don't understand any of the beats, any of the actual story points that come off about it. Of all of them, actually, I think this is the only one that I didn't enjoy. As, you know, I'd rather, I would rather watch this one over Orphan 55 100%. However, that doesn't mean that I enjoyed it much more. Oh, that's interesting. Anyone else feel. Any differently? Uh, yeah, I'm no, I'm somewhat inclined to agree with Matt. It made me fall asleep the second time I watched it. Interesting. Not much rewatchability to it then. No, um, and I, I think directionless and inconsistent are pretty much the the two words that sum this up. Because, I mean, I, it was trying to half the story was trying to make out that Edison was the villain, but then there was also these alien villains they were trying to deal with, and. Mm. N 
I mean, if you had a story with Nikola Tesla out of all of one, you'd at least have something electricity related, but it was sort of not like that, really. No, no, I suppose. I suppose for the two scientists at the time, I don't feel they contributed to the story. No, no. I, I agree with you on that one. From from the historical setting yeah. perspective, it felt like a wasted opportunity. I agree well, with that. In which case, what's the point in having them? Well, yeah, that's true. Again, that's just another hallmark of the Chibnall era, though, isn't it? Where he tries to ram uh, a historical setting into the story mm. to kind of like utilise the fact that it's a time machine. You know, it's a time travelling show. So, well, let's just set it in the past with some famous people. So I, mean, I, th- I think the actual plot point was the whoever they were, the not Ragnos, wanted a great engineer or something. But obviously, Githra. they were, yeah, so the Skithra, just... that's it. Because they fall, fall back the signal because Nick Tesla responded to the signal he picked up, didn't he? But but that's it. That could have been anyone in any time period. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of hard to argue with those. It's not those. like it's not unique to Tesla. I mean, they could have picked Absolutely. up Steve Jobs, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it would be more <laughs> Jesus Christ! Don't do that. Good God. Uh, Sai, thoughts? It was. It was all right. It was inoffensive. Um, that's the word I'm going for in offensive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. perhaps a little bit of a filler, um, but it was all right. The only down I had really on it was the uh, the US accent. Uh, I mean, not particularly great. What, on Edison? Yeah, just. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't recognise that actor. I don't. I don't know who he is. Is he? Is he famous? Has he been in stuff? I'm assuming he's. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I I enjoyed. I think I'm with you on this one, Sai. I think it was inoffensive. It was a very fillery Doctor Who story, but I quite liked. There's a, there's a few things I liked about it. The production value was great. So the the, um, the set dressing was fantastic and, and believable. I think the music mm. and the soundtrack was was top notch for this one. In fact, this one's got one of my favourite tracks of Series Twelve in it. Um, the Skithra looked cool. You know, I quite like the the, the 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 concept. Yeah, all right. You could say you could say, oh god, they're just a knockoff of the Ragnos. But then, can't you just say that the humans are a knockoff of the Time Lords, or I don't know? Um... Well, I think in that front, the Ragnos have such a very distinct appearance. And oh, you know, they're just insects, aren't they? Even well, yeah, bit... but it's distinct compared to everything else that we come across. We normally come across humanoid shape fairly often. Well. Yeah, but it's a big universe, isn't it? Isn't it conceivable to say, all right, well, there's going to be other life forms that look just like the Ragnos out there? I'm sure the Skithra actually did have a good design, though, but they didn't do very well in showing it off because most of it was just close-ups on the Queen's face. Yeah, that that was the cheap way of handling it, wasn't it? Because all the other Skithra that they showed were CG and they were... They they did look different, didn't they, from what I remember as well? She looked like a human, whereas all the other ones looked like slightly yeah, weird... Yeah, scorpion things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um... I mean, I can't, I can't say that this particular story stands up on its merits as a story, you know. But, and that is a common trope for a lot of a lot of Doctor Who in general, not just for like this era or this this season. But you know, it, it's rare that Doctor Who will have a conceivable kind of resolution to a story. A lot of the times, they just use some sort of MacGuffin or Deus Ex Machina or whatever. So I can't say that there was anything particularly stand out about this one. And I never really thought about the historical aspects. So I'm kind of inclined to agree with you on that one. It does seem weird to have used those characters without any any sort of distinct moments. One of my issues, the only issue that I've got with this story, and it's one that I kind of, I think we spoke about as we were watching series 12 and series 11, is the constant misuse and pointlessness of the companions. 
Like there's oh, a scene yeah, in this where, where Yaz's getting chased down a street by the skitter. She decides to fucking just turn over a small table of bread to block them. She's <laughs> just like, what the fuck was all that about? Honestly, I'm gluten intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, Celia, what are we gonna do? <laughs> And I, I think this is one of those stories where that's quite pertinent. I think there there are too many uh, companions with not enough to do. Um, I think that this is this is the point, isn't it, where it gets sort of baked in that we realise, oh, they're not actually going to develop or do anything. Yeah. yeah. Hold that thought, because I'd love to discuss that point when we talk about the next episode. Oh, that's interesting. Well, all right, let's move on to the next episode then, if, if, if we're wrong on that one. Mm. So... Uh, just to clarify, before we go any further, Fugitive, Fugitive of the Jadoon uh, is my favourite episode of Chibnall's run. And I think it has, I think it has, and I will go on record as saying this, and I don't think I'll probably ever change this unless something new comes along. I think it's got one of the greatest moments ever in Doctor Who. In all 59 years, across Ooh. all mediums, I think the reveal of Ruth as the Doctor is the is the greatest, if not one, one of the, if not the greatest moments in Doctor Who. Agreed. You know, yeah, everything about that. Was, I, was, I, I wish I could do more to that, but it just it it was so left field and asked and raised so many questions, and we spent hours afterwards speculating about what the hell does that all mean? Yeah, um, brilliant. Yeah, and it was just such a shock as well. Um, Sai, did you hear about this before you watched it? Yeah, I did. So I think oh, the lost on me. So oh no, how do yeah. you feel about it then, having not gotten the full shock impact of watching it and then hearing about it and then watching it later? I think it's good. As I said, the impact was lost on me, so I'm probably not thinking in terms of the greatest or one of the greatest moments in Doctor Who ever. Perhaps I'd have that opinion if I saw it at the time when it went out on air, but I thought it was good. Okay, that's that's, yeah. that's cool. So you you didn't like have any preconceived notions about it before you watch? Because sometimes people like you hear a plot detail about something and it kind of sets a preconceived notion in your mind, and you're like, oh, I'd, it's like you're almost pre-arguing the idea of it before you kind of like taking it on board or seeing it in the context of what is meant to be portrayed in, I suppose, but you didn't have that. You're saying you just sort of like watched it for what it was and, and you were happy with the way it was. Yeah. In fact, that, that piqued my interest. I think just after Skyfall, although I enjoyed those episodes, I think my interest in New Who for whatever reason just dwindled a bit and watching it back about a year ago, that season, I think that reignited it again a little yeah, yeah. bit. So yeah. I, I think it had a good impact. No, no, fair enough. No, no, that's fair enough. Um, Matt, what were you going to say then about about Fugitive? Oh, so to me, this entire episode really does um, uh, stress the point that Cook made with regards to the companions don't do anything. Mm -hmm. They get beamed off to spend the entire episode on a spaceship to not contribute. Yeah. And it, we've got to the point now where they're so irrelevant that we can just take them out completely. Well... <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I think there's an intention behind it with this, specifically with this story, because this isn't about them. This is the Doctor's story. This is a story about the Doctor, and it's centered around. I think the problem is the the fact that they've got such a full Tardis crew that writing a story for the Doctor, you have to sideline those characters, and it kind of highlights their their pointlessness, really, doesn't it? It's just companion light episodes before, but to the point where. Rather than they, I don't know, they get dropped off and they go to a different town. You know, Donna in Midnight, for argument's sake, great idea of how to do a companion light episode. However, yeah. here, they're still part of the story, but they just get beamed out to do the uh, the Jack Harkness reveal as opposed to actually being part of the plot. Well, that's another point, actually. I've forgotten all about that. <laughs> the big <laughs> surprise of the Jack Harkness reveal, that was like a double whammy. 
That was cool. That, <laughs> it was a massive was, adrenaline was... rush of an episode, really, wasn't it? It really yeah. was. Because yeah, I thought yeah, yeah. that hardness bit would be the highlight, and obviously we get the ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're like, well, what? What's going on here? Um, I think like another aspect of why I particularly love this story is not only does it feature the return of the Jadoon, but the prosthetics are amazing. I didn't realise they were actual prosthetics. I thought they were CG. <laughs> No, you know, it's very, very good. Even the CG again with the um with the shield around Gloucester. Yes, I mean the, the 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 full full credit for the visual effects and this and the set dressing and everything in this story. Even the costume design for like Gat and and you know um the Jadoon uh, Tawok cruiser and all that sort of stuff. It, it it just absolutely everything smacks style and 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 and, and sort of like perfection in this particular story. You know, I. I it just can't be. I don't think you can pick a fault in this story. I really don't. I'm open to the challenge of that. Um, I mean, normally I'm quite good, but with coming up with problems, but uh, I can't really yeah. think of one off the top of my head. I think the pacing's perfect. The action's on point. The constant it, left fields are brilliant. Go it on. would just be the companions and their <laughs> role. The only the only the only slight quirk I have with them is the fact that like in fact no I don't. I, I quite like the way that Graham is like stuffing his face with cakes in that amazing comedy cake shop and then he gets teleported away. And then they're like, Where's Graham? after about half an hour <laughs> And then they get teleported away, which is brilliant. I yeah, mean yeah. If, if if the actual characters forget about themselves <laughs> what are we supposed to do? <laughs> oh boy. No, that that is I suppose that's yeah, that's that's a, a fair point in some ways. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I... Yeah, I don't think it's fair to say the way that they were handled was was kind of like a misuse of them. It felt I mean, like it was a clever way of kind of like getting that set up for the haunting of Villa Diodati with it, the uh, Jack's inclusion of the, of the side. It is a comedic part of the episode. I'll give it that though, that Jack tries to get a lock on the Doctor and just ends up getting three different people. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. I and they all just I, stood I, there like, no, <laughs> wrong again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I do like that. I, I really do like that. I think that's pretty funny to be fair. I mean, I could sit here and talk about Fugitive of the Jadoon all day, but I guess we need to move on a little bit. Um, yeah. Unless anyone's got any kind of anything else they want to wrap up on with Fugitive. It, it obviously kind of sets the stage for the, the you know, the biggest, most game-changing thing in, in Doctor Who history. So, yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, let's move on next to what I think is the most forgettable episode of the season. This is Praxis. My point in case, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Praxis, yes. Um, it's global, so they go. Don't they go to like Japan or somewhere, or South Korea, and Australia or somewhere? And there's a homosexual couple in it, which is great for representation. Two it girls roaming. Really like... <laughs> yeah, there's there's, yeah, there's that. I was just going to say, what's the blog called? Thank you. Um, <laughs> there's an alien virus to do with. Is it to do with plastics or something? I can't remember. Yeah, Praxius, like yeah. effect because it's it's to do with the microplastics in humans' blood. Praxius takes hold right. of it and then basically disintegrates you. Yeah, don't pollute the ocean. Basically, yeah, that's the message. It's, it's another one of these environmentally messaging stories. Um, I just think they could have done a Sea Devils episode though with that concept, not or some random story. crap. 
a bit if it's about plastic they could have done it about autons you know autons um, versus sea devils i mean how cool but, would have been that been to see <laughs> but at the same time i do get that they don't want to constantly rely on classic monsters especially if the episode before they had the, the jadoon back um jadoon's not a classic monster not, well it's not classic but it's a recurring monster isn't it it's, it's iconic anyway i would say iconic mm. not classic sorry iconic yeah. monster um mm. You don't just want to fill every season of Doctor Who with the same monsters over and over because that's the versatility where you can create brand new ones. Yeah, but you don't... I... Praxis <laughs> is not say. an iconic monster yeah, in yeah. any way. Yeah, and they yeah, didn't yeah, even yeah. put any kind of effort into making it one because it's just... It's such a one-trick pony that only works in the circumstances detailed in the plot. So I think this is the filler story of the season. I totally think that this is... I think this is worse than uh, Night of Terror. Like, hugely, by Country Mile. Um... Mainly because I can't remember anything about it apart from there's loads of birds, isn't there? Like some crows. Uh, oh god, I don't even. The the, the visual no. effect from the Praxis virus is grim. I, I you know I have to give them that. That's that's horrible. The way the body yeah. turns a load of teeth or whatever it is. I can't remember what happens. It's like shell or something, isn't it? it kind of ossifies. Yeah, yeah. What a word. What a <laughs> word. Um, but yeah, apart from that. I can't say there's anything stand out about this one. I mean, it nearly buries your gaze again. <laughs> yeah, it nearly does. But then I she says, the they survive." I know. Yeah. I bet you were waiting for that. Like, oh no! Yeah, literally. Like, oh, my husband has out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, particularly as you're right, right towards the end, it does almost kill the partner off, doesn't it? It's like start the yeah. clock from Mummy yeah, exactly. on the Orient Express. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true, very, very true. Yeah, I, I don't know really. It's um, it's just a non-story. Ooh. It really is. I can't remember shit all about it. And who wrote this? I, I can hardly remember it to be honest because it was just. Ugh. Was it Pete McTie that wrote not... this? Uh, I think. It, yeah, yeah, I think it was. No. Which is surprising because he's generally quite a good writer. So I don't. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know where that where that one with that one, but um, Praxius. Yeah, I mean, I think largely forgettable is the key takeout from that one, really, isn't it? Yeah. I can't even think of any distinct moments in it, or um, or soundtracks, or or anything key at all. Yeah. One yeah. of them was that's... an astronaut. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about it, really. Yeah, one of them, one of them was a, an astronaut from Manchester. Who'd have thought it? The future, anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, controversial. Um, yeah, all right. I, I, we can't milk practice anymore. I think we've said everything we can say about it. It could have been more than it was. It was a bit there. Nah, that's about it, really. Uh, it just—it seems like they're constructing episodes around messages rather than messages around episodes, which is well, the well, yeah, thing. Well, yeah, we'll we'll come on that in a bit because that, we spoke about themes last week, and I think it's more prevalent in this week, uh, especially with "Can You Hear Me?" What? Can, can, oh, damn it! I was gonna—I <laughs> was gonna try and work that in. They ripped it out from under me. I mean, right? Can you hear me? <sighs> yes. <laughs> I'll just keep doing the same joke for the next yeah. 10 minutes <laughs> I mean I, I would also say sadly yes we can hear you with this yeah. one um, in terms of the episode itself uh, I mean I mean, we have to seems, in, say, in my opinion it seems to follow the theme which I point out uh, quite a lot with these types of episodes which is it sets itself up really really well I just don't feel like we get any payoff yeah totally agree 
totally agree um and it's some bizarre concepts as well i mean it's not even kind of like the levels of bizarreness that we had with it takes you away um we've got to bear in mind the uh the the main antagonist um they detach their fingers to basically attack their people that att attack the like we have to bear in mind actually think about it this is the episode where the doctor got fingered that's the key thing <laughs> in this story great <laughs> yeah um are they i can't remember are they eternals they're not are they but they're from the same dark times period as the eternals are they because they talk they about the they're immortals aren't they immortals yeah right so they talk about the eternals so don't they zelin that's his name zelin and zelin and the other one yeah Tebow. Uh, who emo no tebow 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 that's Ryan's that's friend in it that's name in it tebow <laughs> Bonjour, je m'appelle Thibaut. What was all um, the, the, they could have they could have completely cut the Aleppo stuff and that girl. It could have just focused on the companions. God, I'd forgotten all about that and that that mm. monster thing. I'd forgotten all about that completely. Yeah, because basically this this story is a metaphor for mental health. That's what this story is all about. It's all about mental health crisis. Uh, Ryan's mate who's got mental health issues. Yaz, we've spoken about this before. I still don't see it myself. There's a, apparently an allegory or a metaphor or a subtext to Yaz wanting to take her life. I thought she was just running away from home. I don't. I, I've watched that scene repeatedly, and I still don't see why people seem to think she was talking about taking her own life. Or um, just running away from home too. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't read into that deeply. I just thought she was running away from home. Um, That's a bit of a too dark concept for Doctor Who, surely. Uh, no. Well, you say that though. We have to bear in mind one of the most awful moments in the Doctor's characterisation comes at the end of the story, where Graham goes to get comfort from the Doctor in his concerns about cancer, and she—I can't quote it—but she basically says, "I don't know how to deal with this, so I'm going to walk away." Yeah, it's a really awful scene. That's terrible. That's not what the Doctor's about. They shouldn't have—they shouldn't have characterised her like that. That's awful. You know. And it and it's a shame because you're right. I think this is an episode that primarily focuses on on fears, anxiety, and mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think yep. it is something that we should expose people to at a younger age because people don't seem to understand it when it does start to affect them, and it yeah. can affect people at all sorts of ages. Which is why it's really important to call it out. And they had a yep. really good opportunity here to do something not just meaningful from a story point of view, but also meaningful from a getting information out there or yeah. talking to people or making it a topic that people can broach with each other. Mm -hmm. And they just missed it on so many marks. Yeah, yeah, hugely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think just the story for this one's not the strongest. Um, I like the visuals in it again. It's also got a weird moment where the Doctor somehow manages to Wingardium Leviosa her Sonic up into her hand. Oh, that was crap, that was. <laughs> Fucking awful, wasn't it? <laughs> that was really Honestly, bizarre. you watch that, you just like, Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a very, very, very odd moment. Um, I think one of the good bits, though, that I quite like is the whole animated sequence in the middle where yeah, Zelin's kind of... It is, isn't it? It is impressive yeah. the way that they kind of like do that. I quite like that. So um, I, I think the animation's lovely, but blimey, talk about Whiplash, it didn't feel like it belonged in the episode. What? I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, there's a bit where past and how they got in prison. Yeah. Zelen's uh, kind of given a story, like a, a narration yeah. over how it all kind of occurred and stuff like that. And we get that kind of animated sequence, which is, I thought was quite cool. Oh, yeah, it's cool. To, to clarify my point, look, the animation was lovely itself. I just don't think it felt right in the episode of Who. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, well, can you hear me? Uh, suddenly, yes, we can. <laughs> the Haunting of Village. Mm. Oh, so, no, 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 sorry. There's one bit that really did make me laugh. 
uh, it's when uh, Zella said, um, I'm going to ride in her slipstream. And straight after, she said, <laughs> released after all this time. I think that was just me that just probably laughed yeah, out loud at that bit. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I need to rewatch it now. <laughs> no, no, you really don't. Okay, moving on. Uh, the Haunting of Villa Diodati. So we covered this a few weeks ago, so I don't really think we need to go too much into this, but we were all on the consensus, at least the three of us were on the consensus, weren't we, before Cy joined us, that we thought this was a good story. Mm-hmm. Very creepy, great story, nice little twist with the Cyberman. You know, characterization of Ashad was pretty strong. Cy, let's get your perspective on The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Because you went with us for that that review, eh? Yeah, I thought it was really good. I really like the, uh, the the period setting. Costumes are great, and as you said, the reveal was was great. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Ghost and everything of um, uh, what was series two, the last two episodes of that when the. You were saying army of ghosts. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Kind of reminded me a bit, little bit about that, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. It was very, very like that, especially with the kind of like the, the visual effects and stuff. Yeah. I quite like the horror elements of that story as well. Um, I still it's don't know what the, the deal with the hand was. <laughs> that was never clarified, was it? Nor the actual ghosts. <laughs> Nor the actual ghosts. <laughs> I mean, I'm just glad it wasn't a spub bog standard haunted house story because they really do my head in. I can't, I can't, I can't be bothered with them. So I'm glad that it took a... Different, a different, yeah, a different take on it. Yeah, um, tonally, I think it's it's it, it. We've said this before. I think the tone is intentionally dark, and especially the way that it goes towards the end with the uh, with thirteen finally showing her pissy pissy face. I think that works quite well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's how she she basically gets a strop on and says, "Look, this isn't a, a a team structure. It's not it's not flat. It's a pyramid, and I'm at the top, sort of thing." Mm. I like that. The fact that she's not showing her balls to the to the others, and she's not so friendly and happy happy with them all the time, I quite like that. Yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, just a generally creepy story, which is pretty good to be fair. All right, let's let's move on from the uh, dear Darcy. So, Ascension of the Cybermen. Uh, absolutely brilliant. I love this story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. There are some things that I definitely would change. However, I think it's a very very good story. Mm. I just love the Cyberwolf stuff. I just and the Cybermen are really fucking creepy in this as well, like really scary. They're brutal, yeah. aren't they? They actually have they um, like a, they they have a, a a genuine sense of terror that they that's they, it they they bring to the characters do, that are fleeing. Do you know what? I rewatched from. it recently, and it's the it's the bit with the at the very start when the two Cyber Cybermen are chasing. Um, I can't remember they're chasing. They're chasing somebody down, but they are so fast. They are so, and they weren't like that in the old. In, I say in the old, they weren't like that back in in like series two and and, and whatnot. They were kind of quite stompy. I mean, um, there are, you know, sorry, come back. There are moments in series two where you can see them visibly speed up, like they're rushing, but they're still stompy, and you do get that sort yeah. of like rush of adrenaline from that. And it's the same sort of deal here, I think. Yeah. Well, it feels faster here, and I'll agree. And actually, they do a really good job of you know, if it's meant to be you know, Cyberman's an efficient machine, then yeah. It should be as efficient as possible. Yeah, yeah, hugely. Yeah, yeah, and it, it really works. I think the, the floating cyber heads are a bit odd. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't like the drones at all. I so quite liked them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I just felt like it was a bit cheesy. Why? Why they had to be heads like cyber heads? I well, don't know. you had a similar thing that happened in um, Pandora Cropens, didn't you? With the cyber head crawling around. I don't think it's that different. Uh, I suppose yeah. I get that a bit, but it's like if they're designing drones to fly that aren't an actual part of the cyber body, then. 
Yeah, but just imagine a cyber suit. The head detaches, flies towards you, grabs a brain, flies back to the suit, and there we go. Yeah, I suppose this is one of my problems with the Cybermen of New, though, because um, when they started giving the ability to fucking fly and all that nonsense, they just, at some point, you just start wondering, like... What can't they do? (laughs) Exactly that. Exactly that. That's it. What can't they do? And you just think, this is getting getting a bit silly now. You have to remember... Sorry, go on. I mean, this is a tangent, but that's the issue that a lot of people had with Nightmare and Silver, wasn't it? Where they just upgrade to everything, and it's like, well, what? They need a weakness, surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And gold isn't it before we get started on that. Um, although I do like the references. I like the fact that the Doctor is basically using all of her arsenal to, like, with the the gold um, spraying, like like the the law sprayer, but with gold and yeah. stuff like that. I quite like that. I think that's pretty clever. She's um, just flinging shit at the wall and seeing what sticks, isn't she? <laughs> and seeing what sticks, and it's basically everything she knows will defeat the Cybermen. I, and I quite like that as well in this. I think that's 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 done quite well. Um, yeah, and Ashad again in this one. I like the idea that he's basically wanting to make the Cybermen fully fully mechanized and not rely on flesh anymore because it's something that the Cybermen should have been doing for years. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that they. Um, it doesn't make any sense that they've kind of like continued to want it. Am I still there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry, my, my PC just went to sleep halfway through that, which was not remotely helpful. Um, it, it seems like illogical that the Cybermen wouldn't want to go fully mechanized at some point. You know, why would they want to continue to... Thanks. Again, we talk about we talk about being efficient and machine efficiency, and yeah, having to constantly go out to harvest biological parts doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's Ashad's whole point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the master, but the master's like, nah, boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a big, the big jumpy reveal at the end of this story as well, and it with the master kind of like, you know, the I, I have to say the cliffhanger to the end of this story is brilliant. I really, really sets the tension. You wonder what's going to happen, you know, like you've got yeah. Yaz and Graham and Co on the bridge of the of the Cyber Dreadnought, and the Cybermen burst in and and they just start shooting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like oh my god, we can't see who's being shot or what's happening, and then we cut back to the big rift thing, the and you've got Gallifrey on the other side. The boundary, thank you. Yeah, you got um, the boundary, and then and then the master jumps through, and he's like, "Woo!" And he's like, oh, "What the fuck is going on?" I can't keep up with this. Spent far too long speculating for a good couple of hours afterwards about what this all meant. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. One of the things we haven't spoken about, but I suppose we can talk about it in a second when we get into the timeless chart children, is about how the master allegedly has destroyed Gallifrey yet again. Um, any other comments on the sentient of the Cybermen? Sai, what did you think? You've been very quiet about this one. It was solid. It wasn't as good as the haunting of. Um, my opinion, I didn't enjoy it as much, but yeah, I thought it was fairly solid. What was it you didn't like about it? Or not not like, but what was it that you didn't hang you as much? I don't know, it's just a bit too much going on, really. There's not really too many quiet moments. Okay. I don't okay, know. Okay. I think just as a, a villain in New Who, I've kind of got a little bit bored with the Cybermen. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. I've just noticed the time. We are going to have to break neck through these next ones. <laughs> this is what happens when I don't record. I can't view stuff. This is awful. Well, the next one we don't we've done to death, so it shouldn't take too long. Yeah, timeless children. I think we, let's let's just kind of lay it out as how it is. None of us are particularly happy with the timeless children twist, are we? No. Right, um, no. Not is the twist itself not that happy, but again, what they do to a shout is not exactly a great ending for a fantastic character. Although, exactly. Again, exactly. more to come. Yeah, um, well, he's, he's going to return in the Empower of the Doctor, so... The Doctor just lets someone kill himself in place of her, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, that's another point, uh, yeah. That's very out of character, isn't it? I, I do like the like Cybermasters, him. though. 
I, I, jury's out on that one. Jury's out. I'm going to wait to see how they turn around with that one. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens I, with that one. I like the concept, not necessarily the design. Yeah. The oh, I love the design. I thought you would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let's let's see what comes of that one. Um, and again, the master destroying Gallifrey again. Uh, no, I'm not really on board with that. I, in fact, I'm still convinced it's all a big old lie. Um, and he hasn't actually destroyed Gallifrey at all. Um, I'm I mean, waiting I, to see I hope so as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's you know. But Russell T Davies isn't a fan of Gallifrey. He did destroy it in the first place, so he may just not bother bringing it back. It was Moffat who brought it back, wasn't it? So. Let's find out, I guess. I mean, the interesting thing about Gallifrey is mostly the people that are on it anyway. So as long as we get some interesting Time Lord episodes in the future, I don't particularly care about the planet itself. Mm, it's just the concept that they keep destroying it. It's like, yeah, it's just leave it alone. New series, isn't it? Leave it alone now. Just be done with it. It's flogging okay. a dead horse. Yeah, it is pretty much flog, uh, flogging a dead horse, yeah. Um, all right, Revolution of the Daleks. Uh, amazing Dalek story. <laughs> Um, I, the key thing that I love about this is the way the Daleks just, especially the, well, I can't remember what they're called now, like the new Daleks. The, the drone Daleks. The drone Daleks, thank you. The way they just start butchering civilians indiscriminately. Yeah. That's what we want from Daleks. They just Absolutely. need to and it's, just, it's It's literally just that flicker, that sudden change in colour. Yeah. And then they just start, there's no conversation, there's no threats, there's no speech. They just start shooting people down. That's and it. That's a Dalek. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No no silly threats or anything. I also, it's a small thing, but I also love the fact that their extermination rays are red. <laughs> yeah. I really like that. These are really evil Daleks. <laughs> yeah, really evil Daleks. But I like, I like that kind of juxtaposed between the, the, the standard Daleks and then the, these kind of like non-Dalek Dalek ones. And I like the way it ties into re um, resolution as well. You know, kind of like does that link between it. I think that works quite well in, in, in a lot of respects. Um, Jack was underused in this one, I think, which is quite unfortunate. Yeah, he didn't yeah. even die once. I was going to say, yeah, you pointed that out to me. That's the bit that made me head scratch for a moment. I was like, what's the point of bringing in Jack Hartness and not killing him once? Yeah, yeah. yeah was, That's that what was he's fine. iconic for. At least five times in the story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, you know, a great story. I think it's brilliant. Um, really love a lot of moments in it. Uh, it was nice to see uh, that character of Jack, whatever he's called, back again. Um, the Donald Trump style character. Um, he was a lot yeah. more interesting in this episode, I think. He was. Oh, hugely, yeah, hugely. The Fanti goes and tries to parlay with the Daleks, and then they exterminate him, don't they? I can't remember. They're not. No, he gets out, doesn't he? I can't remember. Now that's that. Think about it. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again. Mm. But did you I guys enjoy it though? I enjoyed it. Overall, yeah. I wish they did a bit more with the um, Doctor Prison stuff. Hmm. Yeah, because that was a big cliffhanger, wasn't it? Um, other than that, overall, it's fine. I mean, 13 murders a TARDIS, but it's not <laughs> the worst thing that. she's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's face it. She's got a bit of a body count behind her, hasn't she? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, right. Themes, in a nutshell. I think the key thing with this is, this is very arc-heavy this season. The Timeless Child is front and centre, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's set up by the Master in the first episode, and then it's sort of... It's a tonal shift, isn't it, from series 11 mm. right the way throughout? Well, yeah, but would I call it front and center? I think it starts quite strong with it. It dips quite heavily in the middle and then it comes back towards the end. It's yeah, front and center when they want it to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's prominent as well, but you're right. It's definitely not front and center consistently throughout. I just think it's prominent because it's there's always those those scenes in every story where the Doctor has kind of got a sour face and she's looking off into, into the distance. Mm. Um, and it's questioned why. Again, we've got a message of the week, you know, yeah, uh, theme, which is just blech. I think um, the, 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 the weird um, 
theme that I've spun this is it's got a theme of inconsistency. So I know we disagree <laughs> on a couple of episodes, but episodes in this season tend to either be strong or poor. That doesn't yeah. seem to be mid-ground. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, but I think overall series 12 is more fun than series 11, and I I, I prefer it. I definitely yeah, I prefer it. Yeah. I think I think the high points are a lot harder than anything in series 11. You know, okay. I just, yeah, I'm yeah, going to know are a lot lower as well. So, exactly. well yeah, there yeah. is that. Yeah, it's, it's the season of extremes, isn't it? Right, we've got to burn through this. So, favourite story, Si? What's your favourite story from series uh, 12? Spyfall. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Cook, what about you? Uh, fugitive. Interesting. Matt, what about you? Fugitive. Come on. Uh, yeah, and I'm fugitive as well. We're all about the fugitive. Gene. Spyfall uh, is a very good contender, though. But it, it would is, be my second choice. Contender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Likewise, completely agree. Well, there we go then. So next week we're going to be talking about Flux, obviously. So uh, thank you for tuning in. And give us a like and subscribe on our Twitter and Facebook channels. Um, don't forget to join us. Like I say, we will be running through Whitaker's final series in Flux and we'll be covering the 2022 specials. Uh, so Legend of the Sea Devils and um, the, uh, Eve of the Daleks. But for now, it's a goodbye from us. Yeah.